0: I feel your every breath, I
1: hear the words you say. And I keep turning back to hear the music play. I'll make no promises, those promises
0: can break you. How can you call
1: me? Hello, welcome to t Hanks for the Memories, I'm your host Darren, and today we're going to be talking about The Money Pit. It was released in March... Of 1986. I think one of two films that Tom Hanks did that year. Three films, maybe. The guy was just churning them out in the 80s. It was uh, left, right, and centre. I think he did nothing in common. And whenever we say goodbye, I can't remember what that film is, and I've already recorded the episode. Um, it made a ton of money, uh, five times his budget. It was a huge hit. Um, and of course, Tom is getting top billing. But for the first time, I think he's actually sharing billing on the poster with Shelley Long, who of course uh, was at her peak. Um, on the number one show in America, which at the time was Cheers. And joining me to talk about The Money Pit today, we have Phil Gonzalez. Hello, Phil. Hello. And welcome back, for the third time so far, Eric Nash. Hello,
0: Eric. Uh, hey, Darren. Good to, good to see you and hear you.
1: This is uh, this is the second time that Tom has done a remake. Uh, his last remake was a flop, which was, of course, The Man With One Red Shoe, which was based on The Tall Bland Man With One Black Shoe, which is <laughs> a mouthful. Um and this is a remake of Mr. Blanding's
2: Built His Dream House. Is it? Which I have never seen. Is it? <laughs> well <laughs> <Yeah>. So I <laughs> It shares some themes with Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House.
1: I've never seen that, so I can't tell you how closely. So if you've seen it, Phil, tell me that it's, its you know, I've been living under this apprehension for the last 30-something years that it was a remake. <laughs> Phil,
2: Phil, how many times have you seen it? Seen Mr. Blanding's yeah. Builds His Dream House? Once with my yeah. mom when I was a yeah. kid. But it's yeah. literally Same about here. a man building a house. All right. Like, yeah, this is about someone trying to keep the house from being unbuilt. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but it's always it's always cited as a remake. The remake of
1: Man with One Red Shoe is barely has the same plot as the French remake, apart from like two scenes. So, you know, it's a it's a loose remake. We get an opening song. Uh, you know, Splash had an opening song. Mazes and Monsters had an opening song. Like, it, it seems like, you know, Tom Hanks' career in the 80s was opening songs. Um, and the song is The Heart is So Willing, um, which contains the lines, and we'll build a house. And that's everything else has nothing to do with them. there's no there's no like list of building materials or anything like that or the different type of trades you're going to get in to do it or anything it's just literally and we'll build a house he's like the, the line and it's quite prominent that line though like you hear it and you're like okay but they're going to build a house like I, I don't even remember any of the rest of the lyrics i just remember that one tiny lyric
2: but when it comes to um, like opening theme songs in the 1980s like i think of like nothing's going to stop us now the theme from mannequin which yeah i guess it's fitting because no one is going to stop them the living mannequin and the mannequin designer like that's literally the only thing that song has to do with mannequin yeah well
1: i mean it just contain everyone's favorite egyptian uh kim cattrall yes um you know and i tweeted that out and kim cattrall favorited wow. that tweet so <laughs> I will never I will never not stop phrasing it as that. But, yeah, so, um, yeah, it, I mean, it's a thing in the... I mean, there was there was a point in, like, 1990 where there was, like, I don't know, our top ten over here, like, our top ten singles contained top ten songs that were from films. Yeah. Like, it was just a thing that just happened where every... And, and even now, like, you'll see videos for old songs on, on YouTube and you'll be like... What are all these clips of this film yeah. what is this film <laughs> why is why what who are these people why all of a sudden am i seeing the three musketeers in the middle of this like love song like what's what's happening here um so or you, yeah, or you can have the was, benefit
2: of the uh the who's johnny uh music video which serves as an actual <laughs> sequel to the movie short circuit
1: <laughs> yeah um. So yeah, there's a there's a whole bunch there's a whole bunch of that kind of stuff going on here. Um, Can I I say, could I say well, you know, with,
0: with the lyrics though? Oh, go for, for it. The song. Eric. Jump in. Is that is that you know if you do look at look at the lyrics you know you know in listening to it you know I'd never really paid not, that much attention but that, certainly that line stood out you know and okay okay but otherwise I mean I think there's you know because this is this is really kind of a, a rom com, right? <laughs> Would we, we, we agree on that? And and, and def- definitely, there's, there's these lyrics are, are very much in a romantic vein and so forth and and uh, you know I mean there's there's talk about promises and uh, uh, you know laughing there's, there's or something like that just now I think I saw a minute ago but um, you know I, I think it, I think it fits a good bit more than just just that line as far as it being good for a rom-com, I think.
1: I will say this much. The line about laughing is extremely accurate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that uh, moment. Yeah,
0: How, yeah all right. How times. can I make you laugh? The way I make you cry. I mean... <laughs> they they <laughs> laugh and they cry in this movie. That's for damn sure. But yeah.
1: And, uh, yeah, so... Um, but to kind of, you know, jump a little bit into the plot here. Oh, yeah. um, we, we start... Uh, I mean, I don't know. This is the film that set the standard. Uh, but we start in Rio with um a shot of christ the redeemer (laughs) (laughs) just so we don't forget i mean
2: just so we don't forget who's looking over this entire story
1: you know now it is almost like a cliche that you're in rio yeah here is a shot of christ the redeemer like these days it's like helicopter shots and drone shots and all people get fancy with it but this is just literally like a still shot of christ the redeemer um uh, just to let us know that we're in rio and we meet walter's dad who is marrying a younger Brazilian woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of... I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but it's a—it's kind of a, an odd opening because um, we get the, like, photograph taken of them as a couple, uh, uh, you know, having been freshly married. And then we have, like, a kind of voiceover type thing where, you know, Tom Hanks is, is kind of reading out the letter and he's kind of annoyed that his dad has married this younger woman who's like, you know, here's your new mom. And... It's it's kind of just like a, a weird transition of, like, the the photograph to, the you know, the photograph being opened by someone in an envelope. I just thought it was an interesting way for them to kind of I, establish who that guy was.
2: I'm going to say that I, it took me reading, I've seen this movie a million times, it took me reading a synopsis of the plot to finally understand what exactly was going on with his father, what his relationship to his, like, the business, what, like... <laughs> it's it's there's so much exposition and so much going on in the first five minutes of this movie that I was like I don't know his dad did something and then he fled the country that's all I could figure out
1: yeah he embezzled a bunch of money left him with a bunch of debts and now Walter who is like a fully qualified lawyer who's like you know been to you know Harvard Law and everything he is now trying to pay off his dad's debts by working for these various people as like a talent agent which is a I mean, like, I don't know. It's a, I, I don't know if he's a talent agent. If he's just like, a, I
2: thought he was like the entertainment lawyer, or like working with the yeah. management or something.
1: Yeah, and the, I mean, I do like the scene where he like goes to pay back the band, and the guys like yeah. just steal the money from them. It confuse them if you give them their money back. <laughs> Everyone and else then, is still then stolen
0: like, from us. Why? Why should? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs>
1: it's such a great, a great yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah, like, and he's like, you're you're their brother, and he's like, yeah, but I like you more than them, <laughs> like, you know, so. Uh, but yeah so we we find out that this guy who we've seen getting married who I would say is a silver fox mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. how you guys feel about that he is a silver fo- he he's married this extremely attractive young Brazilian woman and he's gloating to his son um who he stole all this money from and has forced him into you know, like tons of debt with all these different you know weird and wacky kind of like performers. Um And then we get the kind of you know some some back and forth between him and Shelley Long, obviously all in voiceover because they 're you know they 're not on screen um and then we we do the the you know montage of New York here is New York, look at New York whilst we play the theme tune and i don 't know if this is just me but i 'm picking up a recurring theme of tom hanks 's early films in the eighties, which is we have a shot at the World Trade Center twice yeah. during these credits, and he made a joke in the last film about the World Trade Center. Uh, not the last film, sorry, film before that, about the World Trade Center. And then Mazes of Monsters Climax is at the World Trade Center, and World Trade Center features <laughs> quite a lot of Splash. So I don't uh, it's just a big built-in in New York, so I guess it just features a lot. But the fact that it was mentioned by name in Bachelor Party, and that's set in LA it's just such an odd thing that there's just this kind of weird World Trade Center thing that I'm spotting with Tom Hanks. Well, I
2: feel I feel like at this time, the World Trade Center was getting the kind of play that like the Chrysler building got like several decades before. Like it was so iconic yeah. and so unusual at the time that you just you had to call it out. It was like a symbol of modernity.
1: I don't know. It's just a thing that just keeps happening in Tom Hanks films that it's just, you know, uh, I don't want to say it was an inside job and Tom Hanks is responsible. But... <laughs> I mean, go ahead and say it. I've, I've seen Masons like Monsters. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, like you say, yeah. There's a ton of exposition going on um, after the heart is so willing finishes playing. By the way, this film is produced by Steven Spielberg, uh, so this is like the first collaboration between Spielberg and Hanks. Obviously, that will go on you know to continue um all the way up to I don't know the post when did that come out a couple of years ago do so, we know how
2: spielberg got involved with this one
1: i have no i have i mean amblin i guess it because it was it was housed at universal and i yeah. think amblin would just producing 50 films a year like they were making everything weren't they in the early 80s so i think it was just that maybe uh, they just needed some money for the budget and amblin just came on
2: board but it's funny because like Um, with with spielberg's with amblin's involvement spielberg's involvement with the talent involved the like 50 or so plus familiar character actors who pop in and out of this movie <laughs> with the with the screenwriters with the producers this is one of the most quintessentially mid 80s comedies in existence like if you wanted to know what a mid 80s comedy was it's this it's it's got just every single piece of the pie has like an element of what what your average 80s comedy was from Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel to uh, to Michael Colombier doing the music, uh, M- Michel Colombier doing the music. It's just, it is so almost just typical of it, of the era. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I mean, you mentioned Lowell and Gans. Of course,
1: they, their contributions were uncredited. Of course, but um, they but are clearly they- there. Oh yeah, no. I mean, some of the like some of the kind of slapsticky stuff recalls some of the stuff from Splash, um, and some other kind of like Ron Howard stuff that they've written, and it's kind of obvious that their you know their fingerprints are on it, and I'm guessing Tom probably. Brought them in because of
2: their association
1: with Splash well, if, and how if, successful. If that David
2: Kyler wrote this originally, what was the screenplay? Was it like se- did like terrorists come in? Was there like a machine? Like I don't. <laughs> His credits are so like much more serious and action oriented than this.
1: Yeah, I have a feeling that's probably why they brought Lolling Gansed because they were like this script seems. I, it feels like a lot of the melodrama that comes later in the film is probably mm-hmm. more him right um, and the, the kind of comedy set pieces are probably more them um, but yeah I mean I, I I mean this feels like a good time to say you know uh, like do, do you remember the first time you saw this I'm gonna start with Eric
0: Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall being the producer yeah being producers. so yeah but then additionally um, you know, you're talking about a bit, Phil. That you know, so quintessential '80s and all these, you know, the 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 all all these those those people and the plenty more that are, were involved and so forth. Yet, I feel like it's a little. There's a little. Um, you know, it's a little under the radar. I think these days, at least, you know, it's not. Oh, it's oh you know, definitely. There's, there's not a lot of people that really really remember it and go, oh yeah, that was a great funny movie. The way that I the way that I view it, at least. Um, I mean, maybe it's a little bit better than known than say like a couple of these others around this time, the volunteers and the, um, bachelor party, maybe a little bit, but, um, but yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily probably saw it at the theater. It's possible. You know, I know, I, I know I saw big at the theater, you know, coming up, uh-huh. you know, it's got coming up shortly for you, uh, Darren, but, um. But uh, you know, it's it definitely it was just that Saturday afternoon kind of comes up, comes on TV, and I was always down to watch it after the first time I saw it when I was tennis or here. So when it came out, and uh, I mean, you know, and even even I mean, as recently as just a few years ago, before I cut the cord, uh, cable cord, um, and you know, it'd it come on. I mean, I, I just had to watch it, and it was definitely there's this thing where you know what, what what you've already talked about this this slightly framing device that's happening with, with the father mm-hmm. and, and then it comes back later, uh, with other way in other ways, but, um, weirdly, weirdly, uh, but, um, you know, so, sometimes like, I mean, that would just, that, that I mean, that just, you know, was not in my mind. Um, I, I think until I more recently wa- did a rewatch because of this, I mean, I, I definitely jumped on, jumped the gun and watched it a few months ago, but I'd seen it so many times over the years <laughs> that it didn't really matter that much. Um, but, uh, but I did want to watch it anyway, that's for darn sure. Um, and, and just watching it, tr- truly making sure I watched it in full because, you know, yeah, I, I totally forgot about, you know, his father being, you know, a, 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 motivating, a motivating factor, you know, for his uh, financial situation. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I definitely didn't see it in the theater because uh, I would have already uh, spent my theater-going money on uh, seeing Gobot's Battle of the Rock Lords the week previous, (laughs) uh, which I definitely saw in the theater. Um, But, no, The Money Pit was one of those movies. I mean, you know, we were a big movie rental family, and we would rent anything and everything that anyone was interested in, and then we'd watch it as, as a family. And so, like... That's pretty much how I saw any movie I saw at the time. We just sat down, we watched movies, and uh, The Money Pit became an instant hit in the family, especially between me and my sister. It was one of those movies where if we went to the if we went to Premiere Video and we didn't know what to get, you just it's one of the ones you would just grab again because you knew it was funny, even though, and I hadn't seen it in several like in, I hadn't seen it in in years before I sat down the other day and rewatched it. Uh, I always remembered I was like, yeah, there's something weird about this movie something about the the last like quarter of the film that always was weird to me as a kid and i couldn't pin down what it was until i saw it again and i was like oh it gets very serious and weirdly adult in, in, a, in a very, in a very like incomprehensible to a child way, and then gets back into the slapstick, and uh, but of course this is this is I was discussing this with Alana, my partner, because uh, we watched it as a family the other night. This is still back in the, the era when a family film was designed to just appeal to the broadest possible audience. There was like adult stuff, there's swearing, there's slapstick, there's falling down. Like this was a '80s. Family film with no 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 consideration as to who your family was. Uh,
1: did, you, did you watch it with the girls? Did they enjoy
2: it? Uh, I watched it with Mitzi. Uh, we watched. It was just me, Alana, and Mitzi. And uh, yeah, Mitzi, who is ten, uh, had no com- concept of what was going to happen. She didn't know what this movie was. I've n- never seen her laugh as hard at a movie as I saw her. She was in hysterics at some of the points at some of the moments in this of course of course the the bathtub through the floor scene but uh also just any she, I mean, she's a huge three stooges fan uh wow. she'll watch three stooges mm-hmm. all day if she if she if she can and so the the any this really good slapstick uh up is her sweet spot so yeah i mean For people who say kids these days won't have patience for older comedies, she was right along (laughs) with this movie.
1: I mean, I I would never call something from 1986 an older comedy. It is an older
2: comedy, my friend.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I mean, do you know the funny thing is I remember us renting it quite a bit as well. Not Hmm. when it first came out, but when it was like 50p for like three nights or whatever. Um, I remember us like, you know, renting this, renting Mannequin, renting Big... Like there's like a, there's like four or five my uh, one of my aunts who used to babysit us, she loved hairspray. Mm. So she must have she must have rented that thing enough that she could have just bought the goddamn tape and it would have been <laughs> cheaper. Because I'm sure she must have spent like fifty quid on just renting Hairspray, and there was a thing where we like you could, the, unlike unlike the this new stuff, it would be like two or three days you could rent it for. Yeah. On the older stuff, it ended up being like a week, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do remember a few times where basically we just rented this and then just went back and just paid like another fifty p and we're like we're just keeping it for another week. Yeah, um, and and I think there were a few times where we went to do that and they were like somebody else wants to rent it, so you're gonna have to give it back to us Aww. so we can rent it to somebody else. So I remember being a bit you know heartbroken by that, but. Uh, like you fellas I don't remember the framing device at the beginning I didn't care about the return to Rio at the end and Carlos I didn't get the whole like he was Hitler's pool boy thing like I I didn't understand any of that stuff I just loved like the middle like 40 minutes of this which is just the house falling apart gradually um and that's the stuff that you know I, that's the stuff you know the, the it is kind of what i think most people would remember this film for yeah um is just a house that just is falling apart i mean on the poster the house is falling apart like you know it's it's at an angle it's falling and hmm. and and the house never does that it never subsides so that's that's false advertising right there um but yeah and the whole like the recurring gag which we'll get into about you know what it looks like and how like you know the trucker and the taxi guy and you know the chinese Chauffeur, I think it yeah. is at the end. They all say the same gag, which I'm not going to say now because I want to get into it at the time. Um, but yeah, so I mean, also it's one of these films that has like um, you know Anna, played by Shelley Long, is a professional violinist. Which bizarrely enough, in Man with One Red Shoe, that was that was Tom Hanks's profession was he was a first violinist. So I don't think she's a first violinist. She looks like she's a second violinist. But um, yeah, and then he's an like we said, he's an entertainment lawyer, which means he has like he you know we have this kind of weird thing where um you know he's he has these various clients um there's one that we'll get to later which is a bit of a weird kind of thing um but just like it just gives him opportunities to kind of interact with like slightly odd people although successful people because he's like they sold 5 million albums and you know they right. sold 22 million albums like these are these are people that would be more successful than Michael Jackson at the height of his fame in the early 80s and yet you know, we 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 haven't heard of them, so it's kind of it's kind of weird. But yeah, I like just it's it's like kind of typical kind of eighties rom com professions, in that you know, I mean, there's a little bit of realism in that you know when the maestro returns to kind of kick them out of his apartment that they've been staying in him for a year, like rent free or something. I don't I like
2: uh-huh.
1: I don't think they they fully kind of explain that. I do kind of like how when Tom Hanks is trying to figure out where they're gonna live, he's like, we can't afford anything in New York City. Um, and this is 1986. You yeah. know, like prices weren't you know extremely expensive, but there there's like there's a few jokes between him and his um, his realtor where they make jokes about like because he's like oh I saw this place that was for rent for you know 3,500, uh, and and he's like yeah was Eisenhower like in yeah office? right like, <laughs> <laughs> like like you know which and and so like they do kind of basic. I mean the only the only bit of realism in the film is. They couldn't afford to live in New York on their wages. But at the same time, an entertainment lawyer who's got people who sold millions of records and he's taking what, 10%? He's probably making a lot of money, but I guess they kind of get all over that by having the fact that he's having to pay off his debts for his dad. Um, and so that explains why he's so short of cash. Um, but later on in the film, you know, Shelley Long will be like, uh, you know, she tries to sell a painting back to the
2: maestro that's worth like, what, 100,000? Does yeah. she say? And he's like, I'll take it for tw- 75? <laughs> so, like, as as alana pointed out uh, this morning to me she was like he, tom hanks is a lawyer in this movie certainly he would understand even if he's an entertainment lawyer that there's like home inspections you can do there's contracts you have to sign like uh, he was, he should have been smart enough to know how to like not get taken by this whole house thing <laughs> yeah i mean he went to harvard law for like four years or something didn't he so
1: yeah how does he not know this um yeah. So, you know, we we have um, we have a bit as well with this, uh, the realtor who the actor's name has escaped me at this moment. Is it? Um, oh, I can't remember now. I think it's I don't want to get his name wrong. I don't want to say the wrong name. Is this um, uh,
2: Josh Mustel's character?
1: That's it. Yes. Josh Mustel. Yeah. Is he is he, the, is he related to Zero Mustel?
2: Is he oh, related wow. to Zero Mustel? Yeah, he's he's Zero oh, Mustel's son. There we go. He is featured prom, <laughs> featured prominently in uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. He plays Herod in Jesus Christ Superstar movie. I have not seen the movie of Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh my goodness, he's very good in so, it. I mean, he has one song, but he's he's hilarious. Oh. But yeah, Josh <laughs> Mustel popped up in a lot of stuff throughout the '80s, and uh, just he was never his father. But uh, you know, he's a good. I assumed this role was written for John Candy, and that John Candy just couldn't <laughs> do it. Probably, yeah. It has that. I
1: mean, like. Like he, he, he calls him and he says, you know, he's in great shape and everything. And then when we see him, he's not in great shape and he's sweating profusely. And he has this plot device on his arm yeah. uh, in the form <laughs> of this heart monitor <laughs> that, that all of a sudden beeps when Tom Hanks points it out. And then it beeps more and more and more as he gradually has what is revealed to be his seventh heart attack. Yes. Um, and when he gets into the um, uh, the ambulance... Uh, my favorite thing in the entire world is his paramedic is the bunk. And I was like, I was thinking, I was like, Wait there isn't Frankie Faison also in this film. So it's like two wire actors. Yeah. Um, years before they're in the wire, like 20 years before they're in the wire. It's kind of weird to see them, um, you know, just and I, I like how he like, you know, he when he's saying he's in better shape. Um I'm not gonna call him like the paramedic. I'm gonna call him the bunk because that's who he is. <laughs> he's like, yeah now i can now I can lift him into the ambulance <laughs> like that's the like so but yeah he's he's got this house it's a you know it's too good to miss um you know it's it's extremely you know like it's it's on the market for like a low value but it's worth a lot more you know he should go take a look at it uh, there is a joke as well well but there's one of the houses he offers and he says it's only an eight hour commute to new york right <laughs> and he, he's like how often do you get into the city uh which which i kind of love um there's a, there's a there's a kind of there's a cut as well where we go from the maestro who has returned and everyone like welcomes him back into like the orchestra and he he starts conducting some um, some Hayden, I think he says, and then it like cuts to White Lion playing mm-hmm. like a song, <laughs> yeah. Um, which I thought was a, a nice little kind of a nice touch. Um, we also get a we also get a
2: a very non Yakov Smirnoffy Yakov Smirnoff <laughs> appearance.
1: Yeah, I, here's the thing. I thought is that Yakov Smirnoff, but he, they never say his character name, and he's not acting like Yakov Smirnoff. So I was like, is that him? Of course it is. Uh, yeah. But yeah you did, and he isn't he the, Is he the guy who's thrown him out of the apartment? He is. And he's just
2: so n- normal yeah. and straightforward. And <laughs> I was like, they're just it's almost as if someone was trying to make a stereotypical 80s comedy like in the 19, <laughs> like in like the 2000s. And we're like, well, you got to get Yakov Smirnoff in there. So, but I'm like, he's just Yakov Smirnoff. Uh, his character is called Shatov. Yeah. Uh, in the credits. No
1: one says his name out loud, so I, I guess that's just like a joke for the people reading the script. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've reached the point where basically there's this, there's this nice big house, and, you know, it looks pretty nice. And uh, Estelle, uh, the current owner, shows them around the house. Um, and she does so in the manner of someone trying to hide something. Very <laughs> much t- so. Every- yeah Um, but I do I do like that we get this kind of and this is something that is kind of it's weird because this is like an emotional beat that is paid off later in the film which is as they're going up the stairs like one of the stairs creaks and she goes oh you know that's that stair needs like fixing um and obviously that will begin the start of the troubles and also it will it will come back later on um and, and then so so you think, oh, well, she, you know, obviously the house needs a bit of repair. And then she's like, don't go in the bathroom. Use the downstairs bathroom. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, every, like every time they want to go somewhere else in the house, she seems to be leading them away. Yes. Uh, obviously, if you know the premise of the film, then you, you, you kind of already know that she's kind of conning them. Um, and then she I don't know. if she, I, I mean, it's funny because obviously if there wasn't the kind of capper at the end of the film, this might be an emotional moment where she's talking about how <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> husband Carlos has left her. And that's why she's selling the, the property. Um, and, and then there's a the thing where she says he was, you know, he's um, he's German. And yep. she found out he was Adolf Hitler's pool boy.
2: Well, the Israeli government's after him. <laughs>
1: It's just, it's like, this is like a whole bunch of like really like kind of, it's like a hat on a hat. It's like such a
2: weird combination of jokes. Um And, and then, you know, sh- you go to the, so you go to the movies to see this movie and all you know about it is two of your favorite stars and it's about a house that they're trying to keep from crumbling around them. And you've already been introduced to like an... A silver fox and his young bride in Rio de Janeiro you've had Josh Mestal as like an unscrupulous real estate agent you've been introduced to you've, you've been introduced to the concept of like the maestro moving back in Yakov Smirnoff shows up suddenly you're in a rock and roll concert there's guys dressed up in dresses there's embezzlement going on and you get to this house and there's a woman who talks about her husband who was like Hitler's pool boy and you haven't even gotten to the house falling down yet there's so much plot already <laughs> crammed into the beginning of this movie that has nothing to do with a house falling down
1: and and do you know what do you know what we haven't even gotten to how um walter finally gets his money right <laughs> That's, which is
2: what he, when i was a kid was one of my favorite scenes yeah. in the movie
1: we've got to say that the, the cheap girls is like this troop of like men in drag who turn up to the maestro's house because they want to change their name to meryl streep which is great and 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 Walter's like, you you can't change your name to Meryl Streep because she'll sue. Right. And then they're like, how about Debbie Reynolds? And, it's, and that's, that's kind of where the scene ends. It's just them asking that question, and he doesn't reply, and that's the end of the scene. And played I'm like, by a guy who's that in, all
2: about? Played by a guy who is not Harvey Firestein, but is talking <laughs> like Harvey Firestein
1: yes that was the weirdest thing in the world i was like i was i tell you not i was googling on the internet for like five minutes trying to figure out was harvey (laughs) feierstein in this film and i didn't
2: know and he's he's doing the most like spot-on harvey feierstein impression it's insane well they're clearly making they're clearly poking fun at like the 80s uh like propensity for pop stars to to dress in like uh gender ambiguous clothing like that's like obviously the big like gag and I guess he's doing the Harvey Firestein because that's a very coded tone of voice to speak in without it being an explicit like gay joke. So you, if you have a guy talking like this, like the audience will be like, "Oh, I I get what you're doing." <laughs> yeah, and
1: and uh, uh, yeah, it's just. Uh, but also, the the gag on top of the gag is they're all bearded guys, yes, with tons of chest hair, but wearing low cut dresses. And apparently so very all you successful. see is just a ton of Chester. <laughs> yeah they I mean they're doing well enough you know but I yeah just it's just such a weird, a weird gag. Uh, sorry Eric I interrupted you because I couldn't skip over the cheap girls
0: so the so the next point the point you were kind of already making a little bit there Phil about um about uh, about the kid the kid uh, he's a singer <laughs> or actor or both or something probably you know which was kind of a thing that was starting to happen more and more I think lately and mm-hmm. in, in, in from the 70s you know 70s into the 80s, the, the 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 age of was just increasingly getting lower, you know, um, as to when uh you know uh, young young younger younger and younger people would get into the both the I think a, a bit of a bit of both uh, acting and music biz, but um you know and I think that's just just a, a thing that I, I think you and I might have been attracted to a bit both you know is that the idea that as a kid you could be a, a you know, a big star like this guy apparently is, but you know, he's also good and bad to his mother, I think is his other great joke. His I mother mean, loves he, yeah. him. His mother yeah. loves
2: him so much.
0: She loves him and spoils him so much, but you know, and but he, he gets so upset at, at, at his other other employees <laughs> because they're treating her like just another employee she's
1: doing. That. Yeah, so he goes to see Benny. Benny Is the name is Benny. That's like, like he said, he keeps saying to other people, he's like, I'm going to go see Benny. And they're like, you're going to go see Benny. Like, as if he's like this kind of, I don't know, like banana Republic tyrant. It's like they build him up. Um, and then when he gets there, there's like a, like a bouncer, like trying to stop him. And he's like, you say you've got an appointment. (laughs) Like Tom Hanks going, no, I got an appointment. Like, he's just kind of like pushing his way in. Now, when I saw Um, this
2: movie the first time, uh, I I knew who that actor was like that's Billy I didn't know his name but I I was like oh because I was a huge Punky Brewster fan and I had seen every episode of Punky Brewster and I was like oh that's the kid from Punky Brewster where he plays the character TC uh, from the Fenster Hall episodes and he went on he he was only has three acting credits Punky Brewster where he plays TC Webster where he plays PJ and then the money pit, where he finally got a role with a full name where he plays Benny. <laughs> and then he quit acting. Like, that was it. Yeah. He worked for one year, and then he's. Then he just got out of acting, and I totally respect that. But uh, it's funny because I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, God, he must be famous now. Like, Because I saw him in everything back then. And I'm like, everything. oh, wait, I saw him in everything. Because <laughs> I saw all three things he was in <laughs> in 1985.
0: I mean, I watched both those other shows, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't have. I did not watch him apparently, as, as closely as you did. That's amazing. Because well, he was
2: like, he always, because like in, in Punky Brewster, he played the tough kid. He played TC, like the, the sort of like streetwise orphan at first Fenster Hall which is like the the orphanage where Punky Brewster gets sent for a few episodes uh and so like that sticks in a kid's mind because <laughs> she didn't want to be sent to the orphan I didn't want to go to Fenster Hall like TC.
1: yeah um yeah so like you know Benny as we say he's nice to his mom and he's not because his mom's right. like cleaning the floor and he's like why is she cleaning the floor and and she's does she say, like, she wishes she had, like, five more of him or something yeah. like that? She kind of, like, uh, makes a comment that she... Yeah, so, I, I mean, I guess this is meant to be a parody of some child star, but I, I don't know that I could pin it down to anybody from around this time. Um, you know, unless... I don't know, this is meant to be, like, a gender-swapped Drew Barrymore or something. Mm. I don't know how Drew Barrymore was doing in 1986. I think she was okay. Um, probably yeah, she was, she was definitely partying A lot up of cocaine that or something?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it feels like it's meant to be like a parody of something, probably something that, you know, Lowell and Gans have probably (laughs) encountered. I was just going to say, it (laughs)
2: sounds like it's probably supposed to be a parody of something could describe a lot of Lowell and Gans screenplays.
1: Well, we'll get, like, a lot of. Uh, I mean, if he wasn't so nice, you would think it's probably either one of the Howard brothers. But you know, like both Ron and Clint seemed like they were reasonable kids when they were child stars. I, so I don't oh, think yeah. it's a shot at them.
0: Based on some more more recent but, things I've heard, I would almost go towards
2: Ricky Schroder. Oh as a yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I don't yeah, know about how he was then, but apparently the way he is now.
2: He's <laughs> With, terrible now.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Broke my heart. Oh yeah, he's an awful person.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. So he's. Walter persuades Benny by because like he he does his his patented Tom Hanks eighties yell. He does um, where he raises his voice and he says to him because he's like you know give me give me this money that you owe because you know he's obviously been such a good lawyer to him or whatever and he's like yeah or what and he goes or I won't like you anymore. Mm. <laughs> it's like. That's
2: the part like, that cracked me up like, when I was a kid. You know,
1: it's it's like of course that works because this is a this is like a I don't know 10-year-old who like wants to be liked by people so the, <laughs> fact, the fact that he is like a tyrant anyway but Tom Hanks kind of look overlooks all that cuz he's obviously you imagine know, managing his money or whatever. Um, it's fu- it's funny that he's like okay I'll give you you know like the money. Um and that's when you know there's this, we get we get a shot again. This is something in the eighties they used to do a lot of like we get a shot of like the picture of the house and it gets stamped with a sold. Um, and there's like a lot of voiceover and people celebrating in an office, which I don't know if the realtors do that. Um, I only know my only knowledge of realtors is from the episode where Marge became a realtor, uh, which I believe was called Realty Bites. Um, of the Simpsons so I don't know if they do all celebrate but you just hear them all celebrating and he stamps it sold and then he has another heart attack he does and it's have another like, heart attack <laughs> and it's like that's it that's a picture wrap on 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 the character of uh, what was he called Jack that's it he's done yeah. we don't see him again for the rest of the film um, but that's the end effectively of the first act and I'm sure people listening to this are like Jesus Christ, it's taking you a long time to get to this point. And I'm like, it takes them 22 minutes from the start of this film to get to the point where they actually get to move into the house. And now we've got like a period of roughly 40 minutes where it is just non-stop slapstick which um, isn't so.
2: which isn't uncommon in a farce like you know you spend the first act simply setting everything up so that in the second act everything can go crazy and then in the third act everything you set up in the first act can pay off by making it all come together the problem is of course in this movie they set up a million things in the first act that don't really have any bearing on the outcome of the story in the end. They just kind of bring all your favorite yep. characters back in the last scene. But it's almost like they, they understood, they sort of understood how farce works, a three-act farce, but not enough to make it work. So this is like the first or second draft of a farce we
1: start what I like about this is there's like a gradual kind of build up like we get their first day where they moved in Hmm. and like Anna's sitting in like the she's in the master bedroom and she kind of sits on the bed and then she kind of lies in the middle you know and kind of stretches out and then Shelly Long just slowly shrinks into the bed Um, and then you're like okay and you know Walter's like in kind of like the garage he's like getting some stuff and, you know, something kind of, I don't know, kind of poofs up and covers him in, like, plaster dust or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of brushes it off. And you think, okay. And then he goes to go in the door, and he, the door's kind of stuck. Uh, so he kind of presses the buzzer a couple of times. Obviously, we know that Anna is stuck in the bed, so she's not able to answer the buzzer. But then the buzzer basically explodes and, like, electrocutes <laughs> yes. him. And then the door, he knocks on the door loudly, and then the door just falls in on the on the frame. Um, and I just kind of like how it's just a it's just a small kind of escalation in this, and it's and you know when when he finally kind of gets up to Anna that they, they're like oh, this is just the first day, um, and I, I like how they kind of start small, mm-hmm. um, you know, and obviously they've said that the step needs fixing, so of course Walter tries to fix the step. Um, he does it in the weirdest way by putting like an extra plank of wood over the, the step. Yeah. And then ha- hammering one nail over and over again until he accidentally hits his thumb. And then, and then Tom Hanks does some wonderful uh, thumb pain acting as he puts it in his mouth and kind of stops the, stifles a scream, mm-hmm. um, which is, is kind of fun. Um, and, and, but as he's banging with the hammer, of course, plaster is coming from the ceiling and <laughs> falling onto Anna's head. Uh, So I like just a little kind of like almost like a little seesaw of the action of like him hitting on the hammer and then more plaster falling on her. And it kind of just goes between the two. And, you know, I liked I like how it kind of like, you know, what we want is a house that's falling apart. And I like that they start with a few little small touches here to kind of get us eased into what is going to be a lot of stuff falling apart. Yes. Uh,
2: And I think this is the part where... uh the 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 entire success or failure of this movie of course rides on Tom Hanks and Shelley Long like how yeah. good of physical comedians both of them are and it's not just their ability to do a fall or you know you know take a take a hit to the face it's their reactions to everything are yeah. so subtle and deadpan half the time that until you get finally you would get you get a huge reaction from either of them and I don't think I mean Shelley Long is of course she was by this point she was a well-established comedy actress I mean even before Cheers she had been working and was like respected within the comedy community before people knew who she was uh, to me this is like Quintessential Shelley Long and quintessential Tom Hanks being able to to react to these terrible things while remaining almost angelically charming the entire time, never losing the audience's sympathy with them because you love these two people. They are they are. Delightful human beings, which is the only way this movie is going to work. If you had had like a Charles Grodin in there, the <laughs> final act of this movie would never have worked.
0: Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. What yeah, what you said. Yeah. It's, it's, it's their likability. It's, it's it's uh extremely important, and uh, you know, and, and really, I think it's there's a lot of the the, the react they they're. They're, they're it's not just the slapstick it's yeah. it's their reactions to each other about how this is going on and, and some continued conversations over the various m- multiple days and you know then they in their their interactions with the with with all these other great characters though, that we already talked a little bit about but you know the, the the ones that are coming up i mean these are actually some pretty big actors coming up even more yeah. so. <laughs> and uh i mean you know yeah how how uh, he deals with them especially him but uh but
2: her her little issues, too. <laughs> and is this is this Tom Hanks's first, uh, like, pairing with uh, a comedy uh, actress of equal caliber to him who he wow. gets to just play off of this well? Because, like, that kind of becomes his thing for a while. And he and Shirley Long have some great chemistry.
1: Yeah, this is – I mean, up until this point, all of his love interests have been models yeah. or extremely beautiful actresses who basically – are way out of tom hanks's league Uh, which is not to say tom hanks is not in their leagues but it's just like on paper you're like apart from i would say uh his real life wife who of course was involuntary (laughs) obviously they were in the same league because they've been married for like 40 years um but yeah so like up until that point you've had you've had like tawny katane yeah you know like she's not a comedy actress she's just ridiculously beautiful uh, as Zoolander would say. And you know that's that's kind of the caliber of like who's been acting opposite him. I mean Daryl Hannah, she's mm-hmm. she's not really a, a comic actress, you know, she's a very beautiful actress um you know who was you know swam around like a mermaid apparently as a child so that's why um she did so well in Splash. Uh, she used to bind her legs together and that's how she learned to swim. So wow. um yeah, so you know he's ha- he's had yeah, I know. There you go. That's a fact from the splash episode for you, Phil. Um, so he like he he you know, he like he's just been up against, you know, kind of either very good actresses or extremely beautiful women. Like those are the two the two kind of things. This is the first time he's had like an equal. And obviously Shelley Long is actually older than him. I think up until this point he's been older than pretty much mm. all of the love interests he's had, or at least the same age. She's a few years older than him. Um, and obviously that maturity kind of i think it helps tom hanks because in this film you know he's allowed to kind of go a bit more kind of crazy in terms of what he does whereas she kind of i mean he like again you're all right he does undersell a lot of reactions at the very beginning yeah we reach a point in the middle of the film where things start to escalate yes. and tom hanks is the one who's kind of escalating it and Shelley long still keeps uh, Shelley long still is in a at almost at that point feels like she's in a slightly different film where it's about like a marriage drama <laughs> right and he's he's in a he's in a completely different like film to her altogether um but yeah so but she does you know she does a funny kind of like underreaction as she's getting gradually covered in plaster um you know each time he bangs the hammer so you know and then she does the kind of when they turn the water on and the pipes make a noise and he like runs up the stairs to try and like find out what's going on with that noise and then she's kind of you know she's she's like you know go into there and look at it because i don't want to look at it again <laughs> like, cuz the water's so brown and horrible um, and then we kind of have the there's like a raccoon in the dumb waiter <laughs> uh, that she encounters and <laughs> she, like, and then that's at the, that's kind of at the moment where the uh, the stairs like collapse as Tom Hanks is, is kind of uh, running up them and th- again that is like s- just so, so much kind of great physical comedy from him as he's like kind of uh, running up the stairs and you you see they're about to fall I'm sure there must be a stunt double in here somewhere because uh, there's like a little jump that he that he makes that I'm I'm convinced is a guy with a Tom Hanks wig on, and um, doing the jump for him. But he 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 looks to be hanging off uh, the edge once the stairs have gone. You know, Shelly Long runs out after this raccoon's attacked her, and she like kind of st- st- he has to kind of yell because she's about to kind of try and run down some stairs that no longer exist because they've fallen to the floor, and she kind of stops. Um, and I like how he's like, uh, "Would you mind getting off my fingers?" Yeah. <laughs> like he's literally holding on by his fingers. She steps on his feet, and he just kind of politely asks her. But then, when she does get off them, he just kind of like lets go and falls onto the stairs. And you just see him kind of lying there in like a sweaty mess in a pile of all these kind of spindles, and just and it's like such a like this is kind of like the big set piece that they kind of will pay off a couple more times you know we've had him trying to repair the step now the whole stairs have collapsed they'll end up kind of like outside the house for <laughs> most of the rest of the film um you know but later on there's a moment that kind of is paid off by this whole kind of stair collapse thing um and i i i kind of i kind of like that because then this is where we start to get into the whole kind of i mean it feels like it's a cliche uh, that obviously contractors will rip you off um but we start to meet the shirk brothers um yes Shirk being a perfect encapsulation of what they do because they literally you see they both have exactly one scene <laughs> in the film and then they're gone and you never see them for the rest of the film <laughs> and the site manager is the guy who kind of then is in charge of the whole project. Um but and they have they both have a reoccurring gag as well that they do. Yeah. Uh which we'll get to in a second. Um but yeah, you know, uh Joe Mantegna, better known to everyone as Fat Tony from The Simpsons at this point in his life. Uh, he shows up, and I mean, this is some like light sexual harassment that goes on here. Uh, light? Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I say light because the thing is, after it happens, obviously Tom Hanks is outraged, and then he figures out that this is the carpenter that they've called, right. and he's a really good carpenter, <laughs> and so he doesn't want to alienate him, and then he's he they did they have like a kind of playful thing. Uh, where you know he he's you know he goes he goes to her and he says he's a great he's a great carpenter. This is what Walter says to Anna, and he's like, and also his brother's a plumber, and she's like, well, you know, do I need to sleep with him? And like they they kind of just like joke about the fact that she was she would have to have sex with him so he'd do the job, and then he's like, no, just like dinner and a date, you know, like just like they kind of they kind of immediately joke about it. So right. that's why I say light, but yeah, I mean you know I guess I guess the whole point is you're not meant to like Joe Mantegna's character like he's he is meant to be kind of sleazy and everything and just the fact that he hits on Shelley Long straight away right um, and then you know when he when he when he finds out that she's married which she isn't actually married by the way she's divorced and he proposes to her like at the start of the film and she kind of turns him down yeah because she doesn't want to get married again so they're not married but they do refer to each other as husband and wife uh, to fend off the advances of you know building contractors basically um and so he kind of he agrees to the job but he's gotta have like five thousand dollars up front. You know, he's gonna recommend his brother and of course this is where Tom Hanks is like, How long is this gonna take? Uh and of course the <laughs> answer that always comes back from everybody is two weeks. Um uh, which, you know, in this country we'd just say a fortnight, which is easier to understand. <laughs> right. So um but uh yeah so I but there's also a little bit where you know Anna lights the gas and both there's a little there's a nice bit nice bit of business where Joe Mantegna and Tom Hanks they kind of smell the gas then they look around then they both lean in and sniff each other as if it's like <laughs> is it their cologne that smells of natural gas um and then they realize it's the oven and Tom Hanks kind of like runs into the kitchen and the oven comes on normally yeah and then the burners come on normally, and you're like, "Oh, maybe things are going to turn around." And then she opens the fridge, and it's like the fridge is fine. Um, and of course, they go to turn on the water, and it doesn't work. And Tom Hanks is like two out of three. You know, they've got they've got electricity, they've got gas. Yeah. You know, they don't need the water for the moment. Uh, and you know, it's kind of it's one of those kind of false moments where you're like, "Oh, maybe this house isn't a complete disaster. Maybe it isn't a money pit." Um, But we'll find out that it definitely is And this is where we get For the first time And I feel like it needs to be marked Fellas Tom Hanks Peeing in a film This is it Okay (laughs) Numero uno The first uh, First time he miturates On screen In a film And he does it Humorously Whilst looking at a statue that is also peeing. Yes. Um, And the statue intermittently lets water
2: out, and so Tom Hanks says prostate trouble to the statue, uh, which is a nice little gag. Uh, This is the this is the moment where Mitzi uh, Mitzi correctly predicted that by the end of the film, Tom Hanks would end up in the fountain with the statue peeing on his head. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. She called it. She was like, "Oh, he's he's going to get peed on," and I'm like, "There you go."
1: (laughs) It but it's a perfect setup, isn't it? That's like if you're gonna please the kids, yeah. That's a funny gag. Is someone getting peed on by a, like a statue peed on someone? That's <laughs> funny. So, um, and I like when the second brother shows up, who is played by I'm am blanking on the actor. I know that the guy who does the it's Philip Bosco who's the curly. Uh, um, so so the,
0: the other the other Shirk brother is uh, Carmine Caridi. Hmm.
1: Yeah,
2: and
0: and so yes. both he and. Yeah. Uh, Montaigne, we're in Godfather Three, you know, but but uh, oh, he goes go. back to Godfather Two.
1: Ah, so yeah. and I like I like how he kind of like turns up, um, and he, he's like, you haven't even offered me a drink. And I like how Tom Hanks kind of sarcastically is like, well, yeah, it's it's like 11:30 in the morning. You must be parched. Right. <laughs> and then they they go in the house and seconds later they just come straight back out and he's like, I'm not happy with that. It. It's it's like
2: I just love how quickly he kind of turns on him. Well, yeah, I love I love how they they, they through through filmmaking, not yeah. through script, they show how much power the contractor has over the homeowner. Like it's just they call the shots, yeah. the scenes are very quick, and uh, you actually, they actually set it up, you actually think that there, it's going to be more of an issue than it ends up being, yeah. but, uh, but it is very funny, as any homeowner knows, trying to deal with with this kind of thing.
1: Well, he's like, write me a check for $5,000 $5, before I, you know, like, f- f- before I, like, kind of leave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> will come to my senses, he says. And so he has to quickly do that. But I like that he says, you've been turned down by every plumber in the valley and Tom Hanks like doesn't understand what he's saying which is there's only one plumber in this valley and that's him and he's turning him down yeah. <laughs> so when he says you've been turned down by every plumber in the valley he means himself he means he's turning you down now and it's that's such a subtle joke as well the fact that like Walter misses what he's saying um is I don't know I just I just love that every time because it's like he's like I haven't and he's like don't lie and it's and it's like like he doesn't realize he's lying because he's the only
2: plumber oh I was going to say my favorite exchange which is uh you didn't even take a look at the pipes. And he's yeah. like, I looked at him a year ago. What do you think, they get better with age? And he drives <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and and when both uh, the Shirk brothers drive off, they I both peel out me. and cover him
1: in dust. <laughs> yeah. And they, both, and they both seem to be listening to the same I gotta be yep. me. I don't, I don't know if that, like, I don't know. I just, I just love that little kind of detail that both of them, yeah, they both act the same way towards yeah. him. Um, And, of course, this is when we we build up to probably – I mean, after the stairs falling apart, we have, like, the next – I mean, there's, like, two more, I would say, big set pieces. Mm -hmm. And I would say this is, like, the second of them, which is they are gradually filling their bath up by taking the buckets up the ladder. Yeah. Um, And uh, Shelley Long is wearing some very short shorts during this scene, Um, you know, which Tom Hanks is staring at while he's on the ladder, so – uh, you know that, that I I don't know I just thought that was a bit weird. <laughs> like, if you look at Tom Hanks, he's definitely staring at Shelley Long's behind throughout most of the scene when they're going at those. They have those a ladders. healthy relationship. Uh, they do, and that's that's what I like seeing depicted on screen a yes. healthy a healthy relationship between two adults. Yes. Uh, one of whom is clearly staring at the behind, the <laughs> other, which you know is what grown adults do. Uh, but they're gradually filling up this bath um and then tom hanks goes to the kitchen to get like the final lukewarm bucket of water because obviously the distance they take the water after they've right. heated it up and and by the time they put it in the bath and gone back obviously the that, that bath is just getting kind of you know tepid and tepid as things go on and so he goes to turn like he sits down because he's looking at some paperwork and he goes to switch on a light and then we start like I, when i was young this was probably my favorite whole the whole kind of turkey <laughs> Set piece was probably my favorite thing in the entire film just because it's so ridiculously long and it keeps like stopping and then starting again and then stopping and then and then starting. So we follow, like, the wires are clearly burnt out and we follow the wires as they go along the wall behind the wallpaper. And Tom Hanks even opens up some cupboards. And you see the the kind of this this kind of fire kind of going through and burning the wires out, and then it gets it's about to get to like the kettle. And he quickly unplugs it, and then on the TV there's like a cooking show, and they say like set on fire, and then the TV explodes on fire, uh, which is like such a well-timed joke. Um, and then obviously Tom Hanks' his eyes are kind of following where this is going to go next, and he quickly goes to like grab the water off and then the oven does something I this is kind of I I don't know, this is like a thing that ovens don't do. Right. But I just I, I think it works within the kind of like the you know the whole farce of it. Where like the oven doors kind of like open up and Tom Hanks is like shocked. Um he grabs the water and kind of goes to test to see if it's warm and he kinda of burns himself a bit, which is a silly thing to do. But still, you know, he wants to make sure he's putting warm water in his bath. Um and so <laughs> the oven then as the electric gets around it explodes and it shoots the turkey across from one wing of the house through the window into the bathroom and the turkey lands in a little bucket. Yeah. Um and I think is it then that the little timer thing pops up to say that it's done? And Shelly Long is like the turkey's done. Yeah. Um in it, yeah and and which <laughs> and then now and obviously as a as a person who's watching the film you think that was that was a hilarious sequence this is the end of that sequence <laughs> and then of course Tom Hanks and Shelley Long uh he gets he returns with some more water and he's you know he says you know I'm going to have to get in this bath with you because I'm you know we're not going to do this twice right um as she obviously you know sexually invites him to join her in some naked bathing um and she just says you know get the final bucket of water and pour it in and of course they then change angle which you know, it makes it kind of yep. a little bit obvious what's about to happen. But they change angle; they both pour the water in, and then, of course, the bath falls through and explodes yes. uh, on the floor below. And <laughs> and this is the moment where, for a full kind of like minute, Tom Hanks starts to laugh, and he like at first he just does a little laugh. And then he gradually builds up, and he gets louder and louder, and he starts kind of like gasping for breath. And then eventually he turns it into an impression of a sea lion. Um, <laughs> and he just kind of keeps laughing and laughing. And Shane Long just kind of stands there and lets him do it, yeah. and just kind of looks shocked. And it's such an amazing moment. And do you know what? When I re this, which I did, I don't know, like a couple of hours before we started this podcast... I mean, I just ended up laughing along with Tom because it's just such a well-executed, like, just the way he laughs. Uh, And apparently at at Universal Studios, uh, they would use that laugh uh, in a section where there were sea lions and they would pretend that it was the sound of sea lions but it's actually the sound of Tom Hanks laughing like a sea lion. Um so but yeah I I I mean it's just to me the whole sequence is kind of just amazing the way they put it together like the, the way the electricity kind of moves around the room and then uh, you know the turkey just launches itself and there's no reason for why a turkey would be launched from an oven but you know you just kind of go with it yeah. um, and then I do kind of like that when when he's there she's she's like what what about that and she kind of points to the turkey and he says oh that can't hurt us anymore uh, which I just kind of <laughs> kind of like that as just like a weird little kind of comment uh, but yeah, I don't know how you guys feel about this whole sequence, but this is this is like the first kind of big set piece where you're like, oh, I, this is what this film is now going to be for like the next forty minutes. Uh, it's just like hilarious. Just that laughing. I mean, the film is worth it alone just for that, just for his his reaction to that bath falling through um, and just kind of exploding.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely takes that that staircase sequence, which you thought was pretty big, we thought was pretty big, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> turns it up. A few notches, and and I mean it's yeah, it is wonderful, and and I mean how he comes back, he c- comes into the bathroom with you know being all burnt up, you know like a cartoon character pretty much, you know <laughs> yeah. uh, you know it's wonderful that he shows up that way, and 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 the fact that the fact that this is a big enough house where there are these wings <laughs> where this can happen, <laughs> the turkey can go right. flying from the one side to the other. Um, is wonderful. I mean, that, and then the one subsequent uh, comedy movie I can think of, rom-com essentially, is a, uh There's something about Mary that involves similar wings, but no, nothing flying between them. But
2: yeah, no, it's a it's a great sequence. Uh, it's uh, when 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 Roger Ebert said that this movie was terrible and that it was just oh, one one gag after another of which i'm like that's not a that's not a criticism like, that's what that's what this kind of movie supposed to be but uh i always think of this sequence and i'm like if nothing else the slow burn of this entire from from the beginning of the of the kitchen calamity up through tom hanks's incredible laugh like that's just solid direction it's solid performance it's solid like Uh, camera work and cinematography like it's just effects it's a yeah it's a good just chunk of film and if nothing else the movie should get a couple of stars for this sequence alone
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean yeah i mean what else is a comedy meant to be other than gag after gag I, i mean i don't understand that that's just uh that feels that feels like a bizarre criticism yeah um yeah i'm i will point out as well that when the bath falls through the floor there is no water in it yeah (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah well when it yeah. crashes
1: it's just a it's, you know i'm guessing putting water in it probably would have made that that whole bit a lot I mean, harder to
2: do yeah <laughs> so there was also like, no plumbing you know. underneath it like <laughs> yeah
1: yeah I, I mean yeah well i mean you know you can have the you can have the taps go straight up to it you don't need to you don't need to have the, the, the plumbing go underneath a bath but you know yeah It just I, 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 but yeah just the way it just kind of casually falls through the floor is um but i mean as a kid, the one thing I hated in films though was um, houses getting smashed up and destroyed in some ways. So oh. like I was, la- I was laughing, but I was like, "There's a few films where um, you know when people go into so- like uh, a more recent example, which I'm seeing on DVD a lot because I keep seeing trailers for this film because I'm rewatching some f- the, the MCU films and. Uh, the early ones just keep advertising this film, which is uh, Super Eight. There's a there's a moment in Super Eight where one of the alien things flies through the wall and makes a hole in the wall, and I'm like, no, you're ruining that person's wall. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, this this film is just like a whole like any any film where someone starts to like you know stuff gets destroyed in an apartment or something. I'm like, no, stop doing that. you you're ruining the apartment um but i guess there's no i was gonna say this this movie must drive you to distraction <laughs> it did when i was younger now i'm kind of i've kind of made peace with it but yeah when i was a kid this is the kind of thing where i'd be like i, I like the ending let's play like that because it, it resolves it all and everything my gets least favorite like, part of nice. the money
2: pit is the part with the house falling apart
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the hour in the middle where everything keeps falling apart um and think speaking of things falling apart the crew suddenly turn up, and yeah. we get to meet uh, Philip Bosco, who is going to be managing. The, he's going to be the site manager, and it seems to just be a bunch of Hell's Angels with various implements, um, and like circus a little... circus performers and bodybuilders and yeah, yeah. There's a, there's at least three different little people, one of whom has a pickaxe that he's just wielding around. Yeah, um, and body by Jake and is they, in it? They just is he yeah i'm hearing a lot of body by jake talk these days you know, it's, i mean it's well, jake it? Jake's, just...
2: jake steinfeld oh, okay, uh, yeah. is, is uh is body by uh, jake he's yeah. the he's the big muscle guy uh Haley steinfeld's uncle <laughs> uh uh hollywood trainer to the stars um and yeah I, I was watching this and i was like who is that and then i look at it, i was like oh right that's body by jake <laughs> Yeah. Oh well. There you go. So yeah, there's a lot of people show up. They start just
1: randomly pulling off pieces of wood. Yeah. Um, and kind of destroying it, and it wakes up Tom Hanks. Um, and I think this is the point where Anna has gone into the into town. Mm-hmm. They're meant to be waiting for some permits, but Anna went into town to meet with the uh, with the maestro to get some money from him because she's you know going to sell some of the paintings that she got in the divorce. Uh, back to him basically and he's going to pay whatever because you know he just likes spending time with Anna Um, and when they finish I like how Tom Hanks kind of like returns um, from the city uh, because he went by the way the old woman who sold them the house I should say to the listeners also gave them like this classic car um, and so Tom Hanks is driving around in that apparently on set that is all he used to do between takes he's oh, just wow. drive that car all over the place oh wow <laughs> uh, because he just loved driving it so <laughs> so he had fun at least um and so he comes back and he sees what they've done to the house and i like that um, philip bosco is like he get, it went cuz cuz tom hanks says you know like they they tore it apart and philip bosco in a kind of gleeful tone he's like they sure did yeah. and it's, it's like he's not he's not really picking up what tom hanks is putting down in terms of you know what his feelings are on the matter and I like how he goes you've got your gravel pile you've got your sand pile it's just, just like a bunch of random piles of stuff and there's like wood everywhere and the whole thing is like a complete mess um, and then they find out that you know they stop work because there's no permits and Anna wasn't here to see the permit guy who was Mr. Shrap yes. um, and so uh, this is where we get I guess this is also probably one of the more memorable moments in the whole film which is Tom Hanks goes up to the den Um, to get a phone number, but there's no lights, so he accidentally sets fire to the the post-it note that he's reading Um, he still gets through though so he he got the phone number right Um, and then, um, you know Mr. Shrap is like, you know, you're going to have to pay like a bribe um, and he's like, I'll come over right away and so Tom Hanks turns around and then slowly sinks into the floor. <laughs> yes. In a, there's a big rug on the ground, so obviously you can't see it. And he shrinks, and his arms are like constricted, and he's kind of just stuck there. And it's then we get like I don't know, like the next ten minutes of the film are just him stuck in the floor, <laughs> like trying to yell. When yeah,
0: when it's additional, and it's additionally uh, her waiting at the station for her, him to pick her up. Yeah. 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 Cutting back and forth,
1: and so and so. Mr. Shrap kind of turns up. Yeah. He's knocking on the door and Tom Hanks is trying to yell, but he can't because obviously his chest is constricted. And he actually says that. While he's there, he's like, My chest is constricted and he's like kinda of whispering it. And then Mr. Shrap gets angry, tears up the permit, and kind of walks away. Um and and then, you know, Shelly Long gets a a ride with the first running gag uh talking about what it looks like. And this trucker is like, what are they doing? Testing missiles here? <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and you're like, okay, I, I guess. Like It does. I mean, it just looks like a house that's been kind of torn apart a bit. It doesn't look like tested missiles. Uh, but, you know, we'll get that gag a couple more times. So Shelley Long goes into the house, tries to find Walter, of course. He's stuck behind a chair. And so she's she goes in the den, and he's like, I'm in the den. And she's like, you're not in the den. And he's like, I am behind the chair. Um, and so, you know... She then
2: sees him, and she goes to free him, and then of course he just falls False all the way through. We get another one of the great Tom Hanks uh, yeah. Tom Hanks yells though, uh, when yeah when he when she can't find him and he does his like his big Tom Hanks scream, which is uh, which is always great to hear.
0: Well, and it's that back and forth between the two of them because she's thinking he's fooling around. You know, he says, yeah. well, <laughs> she says, "Well, you stop fooling around." I mean, you know, and you've you've always had that situation with. You know, whether love, various loved ones, whatever, um, you know, that, you know, yeah, you kind of generally have a playful nature with them, but then when it comes to something serious where you're trapped <laughs> in the <a>
1: floor <laughs> and you really need help,
0: you, uh, yeah. You have and that, also
1: because that. of the way his chest is constricted, he keeps laughing because he's trying to get air yeah. and he can only get short gaps, so it just sounds like he's laughing at people, and obviously she isn't happy with that. Um, And then obviously I think they sleep downstairs At this point don't they and they're kind of like um, They're getting ready to make a fire And (laughs) he like touches something In the (laughs) chimney place And then like tons and tons Of bricks just keep falling as if the chimney is The whole chimney falls through the house And then he Yeah and he he basically just turns to her and goes Good night and then kind of just gets in bed (laughs) Because he's not going to try and fight it Um, And that kind of ends the first Kind of like you know Set piece of things falling apart. Basically, we've had everything fall apart. You know, yeah. we've had the, the bed sank, the, the door fell over, the buzzer exploded, the kitchen exploded, the bath fell through, the stairs fell down. And we're basically at the point where everything is completely falling apart. And then we cut to four months later, um, which I think was kind of needed because I don't know how much we could sustain the house falling apart constantly. <laughs> um, and so we're not going to get there anymore. We get a different set piece. Uh, In a little moment, you know, uh, as we get the, the, you know, the the kind of uh, Walter and Anna waking up and deciding, despite the fact that there are roughly 72 workmen around their house, they decide to get intimate. Um, And then they realize that there's like five or six workmen staring in through the window. And then, you know, they stop and, and, you know, Walter yells at them and says, get back to work. Yeah. Um, And I'm thinking... You've been doing this for four months. Don't you know that there are people outside your window every single day (laughs) on scaffolding who could just look through? Like, draw the curtains at the very least if you want to, you know, get into it. But it just, I I don't know, it seemed seemed kind of weird. But then what we get now is, I don't know, possibly the greatest set piece in the entire film. Just this kind of, you know, I mean, this is as slapstick as things can possibly get as Walter is kind of sent off to get some water you know and we see the cracks are starting to show because like you know she's like don't forget the water and obviously he's like i've done that every single day for the last four months so and then she's like the bucket's over there and and under his breath he's like i know where the bucket is because (laughs) i'm the one who went to get the water yesterday (laughs) so so, you know the cracks start to show in this you know extremely healthy relationship and this is when we get like kind of it's just one of those things where things gradually build uh, and the thing that I always remembered about this kind of part of the film is when um, Shelley Long goes to the bathroom and she opens up yeah. the cabinet <laughs> and behind it uh, is Frankie Faizan and he's you know she's like asking for stuff and he's like and then he goes, you know, you're you, you're getting low on your, uh, you know, birth control, <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, I I like the kind of fact that he's like a, you know, he's like a builder, but he's also a pharmacist behind behind the the, the kind of yeah the the, ca- the kind of bathroom cabinet. It's just like a, a weird touch. And, uh, and, 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 obviously, later on, he would be in the wire. So along with the paramedic, it, that's time. his normal station too. Apparently,
0: you know
2: yeah From, yeah for, for some this period, Jim's just period behind because she's, like, she's like cabinet. are you ever gonna be done yeah, here right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and I like that she's like you know um I think she ends up in does she end up in the kitchen and she's like or is it or is it while she's in the bathroom where she's like you know Walter's getting some water? I know she's in the kitchen, isn't she? Yeah. She says to this guy who doesn't know about who Walter is. Right. And, and she's like, he's gone to get the water. And he's like, why? And then he just leans over and the taps are working. And she's like, she's super excited. The taps are working. And at the same time, Walter goes to go down a ladder and sees that they now have a staircase. And he's extremely excited about the staircase. Um, so both of them were kind of like excited about tiny things that probably should have been done months ago. Uh, given the amount of people are yeah. working in this house, uh, but I like that they they're kind of celebrating these these kind of small victories. And then as Walter is, doesn't realize the water is on, he's going to, he's got this bucket and he's about to like walk across uh, this plank uh, across like the middle of this floor. And this guy comes along, and while Walter is talking with these two guys on the ladders, I can't remember their characters' names. Um, I want to say one of them is called Carlos, but I, I, I just you know. Uh, he's. They're kind of talking about this. Guy, this guy's like, "You're a lawyer," and he's like, "Yes." Mm-hmm. And so he says, "Well, my my uncle is it his uncle was like hit on the head, um, and then you know he's yelling at the TV and he's put his foot through the TV. So can he, can he sue, like you know uh, whoever hit him on the head. And he's like, "Well, you know, it sounds like you've got a good case uh, against um, who the, who's the performer? God damn it, it's gone from my mind. I
2: can't remember
1: uh, Bob Hope." Bob Hope. He says, Bob You've got Hope, yeah. a good case against Bob Hope because they were watching the Bob Hope special. And he put his foot through the TV. <laughs> <laughs> and, his, and that, which, you know, he, he then goes to walk off. And of course, he literally just falls through a hole in the floor. Um, and now Shelley Long in the kitchen is trying to find a plug for her kettle. And as the guys walk by, none of them will answer her, you know, pleas for uh, a plug socket. So she just unplugs something, <laughs> which turns out to be like this bandsaw. Um, and then the guy's like switching it off and on trying to get it to work and this is just as Walter lands and catapults the bandsaw through the air and then it gets turned on and it cuts another plank which then um, I think Walter goes to step on something and that plank breaks and then he ends up in like a bucket of plaster Mm -hmm. Um, and then he somehow he gets from there to the roof um, and he's covered in plaster and he can't see and he's wandering around on the roof uh, basically blind and, and kinda like um, ghost, kind of like a ghost, is what right. I, I think I always yes. have in my head. Yeah, yeah. there's a couple of <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of guys down I on the ground who look ghost. up who seem a little spooked by him. Yeah, and so he ends up. He kind of walks off the roof and lands on a in in a bucket that hits a chute that breaks the scaffold. That he then climbs out of the bucket he was in, walks along some more scaffold which breaks. He then falls off that scaffold into a different bucket, and he gets sent down the hill. Uh, all the time still covered in this kind of like plaster <clears throat> and then he lands in the pond where indeed um, all the power comes back on and that restores the power to the uh, the statue in the pond who then proceeds to pee on Tom Hanks yes. um, and Tom Hanks just kind of sits there because uh, uh, he's washing the plaster off so you know it's uh, <laughs> it's helping him yeah um, but yeah I, mean, I, I It's just kind of amazing Like all the kind of Physical comedy I've got to bet There's at least Probably one or two stunt men somewhere in here yeah. Which is probably the reason Why Tom Hanks Is completely covered So you can't see If it's Tom <laughs> right. Hanks Right uh, But I'm sure Tom Hanks Tom Hanks is doing A little bit of the comedy Kind of falls in this uh, He does the fall Through the floor at least Because uh, you can see It's Tom Hanks As he turns around So um, But the rest of it Is probably a couple Of stunt guys Somewhere along the line But it's just an, it's just Such a kind of Amazing sequence And as you as you said Phil Messi called it. She did. He's gonna get peed on because he saw the statue, and that's that's the perfect payoff to that that setup earlier in the uh, in the film. Now, uh, it just sp- makes complete the, my sense. My thing
2: about this sequence, though, is that unlike unlike the other big set pieces in the movie, this one's really well done. But it doesn't. There's no consequences to this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole scaffolding falls no. apart. Everything goes to hell. But then it immediately cuts, and everything's kind of back to normal after this one. I mean, this is the beginning of their, like, the the dissolution of their relationship. But it's a weird sequence, because it's huge, but then it's immediate, like, you would think, like, oh god, this is where all the builders throw up their hands and quit, (laughs) or this is where they're set back another, like, few months, but it really doesn't do anything. Like, there's no no dramatic consequence to this giant set piece.
0: It's almost like it's a substitution for not having shown Multiple things over the course of four months, right? Where it could have been smaller things, but things that he may, mostly he kind of something that the 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 the, the um the, the, the slapstick that happens to him, you know, things get done, you know, kind of gets in the way of it, 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 it caused it to be this long, a bit. Yeah, a, I don't a know partial this cause is, to to because we're about length.
2: to move into the yeah. weird infidelity subplot yeah. mm-hmm. that seems to come out of nowhere and lasts a long time and I remember I talked about this uh, after the movie I was like it seems to me that like the this should be a movie where it's like the people against the house and then the house kind of gets forgotten about for a long time because it becomes like their relationship falling apart and I'm like this is where I would think that like this massive set piece would be what kind of is the final straw in their relationship that almost breaks them up. And I would think that, like, with, like, a few more passes of the screenplay, as you said, like, this is – you would kind of be seeing all this stuff building and building and happening to them over the course of the movie so that they're, the, the, the straw that breaks the back on their relationship is – is this is the scaffolding falling and him getting peed on and uh, you know like everything getting set back a few months and instead they in, they shift gears completely and we enter into like a uh, like a fast Bender film. It's it's weird as well because
1: uh, the whole stuff with the permits you know with, with the hole in the floor and everything and Tom falling into it and the yelling and stuff. That gets resolved like four months later. They never. They gave. They went to the point of giving the permits guy a name and have him turn up on screen and get angry <laughs> and tear up the permits. And then fade to four months later. They like he's. I mean, Tom Hanks says I'm going to go down to his office tomorrow and kiss his ass. But it's like we don't. We don't see that. Right. Um, and if we cut a bit of the melodrama from the end of this film, you could probably do like two minutes of him apologizing to Mr. Shrap. It's like why give this cat and you barely see his face as well. Right. He's so dimly lit. Yeah. You can't tell who he is. Like he just wanders off over the pile of gravel and and it's like okay, 4 months later, I, I guess they solved the permits thing. <laughs> like, you know, and this all is where I was then we, is we where launch I say into that
2: this big 75 this is 75% a good script and what it lacks what it what it lacks in script and I think that I think that Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel kind of did th- this was their career, which was they wrote serviceable scripts and then got super charismatic people to play all the roles and kind of paper over the all the all the problems in the story because you're so taken by these <laughs> incredibly charismatic people
1: yeah well that, yeah that's it like the the entire of the entire of this you know the, the like this whole film just relies on how much do you love Tom Hanks and Shady Long? Yeah. Um, and even Philip Bosco would say to a certain extent, yes. how much do you I mean, Philip Bosco is, you know, he's, he's charming enough that he carries, like, I don't know, a quarter of this film just from, like, the kind of humor he has. Yeah. Especially when he keeps saying two weeks. Like, because that, because <laughs> like, your, becomes, your male you know,
2: lead is about to scream you whore at his wife. And you better have, you better have laid down quite a bit of goodwill <laughs> in this movie or you're about to lose your entire audience.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about it. You know, um, Anna is uh, working. You know, Max has been back. Max is obviously the maestro. He's been back with the orchestra. They play a song. He compliments them. He says it's not terrible. You know, he has a bit of a conversation with Anna. Uh, They go somewhere to get something to eat. You know, she obviously gets drunk. Um, And then we cut to the next morning uh, to the strains of a cover of of Yesterday uh, by the Beatles. (laughs) like Just like a string quartet cover of of Yesterday. Obviously, Yesterday is... Fifty percent string quartet, so, um, but they, it's a re- slightly rearranged, so it's not quite the same. And I should also say as well, uh, we've had a string arrangement of the Heart Is So willing play a few times mm-hmm. during this film, um, as like a, a kind of a haunting refrain. Uh, it's it's so so weird, um, but yeah. So you know, she wakes up, she wakes up in Max's bed, and Max kind of like leans over and he's like, "Good morning," and she doesn't know what's happened, um, you know. And so she she returns home um and oh I should say as well is this before this we have Walter returning home in a, a a VW bug that is lit up with a bunch of lights all over it and it's playing a song uh, and that's meant to be like a yeah it's meant to be like a taxi yeah and and when they when they pull up of course he says what are they doing here testing missiles and the funny like the Chelly Long didn't like when the when the trucker did that gag she didn't say anything but Tom Hanks of course his character does like a bit where he's like yeah it's a secret government base don't tell anyone you've ever been here forget anything about this place like he really plays up to the whole like they're testing missiles thing which is just such a weird uh, I mean it's something that Tom Hanks has a tendency to do with his characters he's just kind of have like a bit of a kind of a witty retort to people Um, so yeah and then you know Anna comes home uh, at night I think it is is because this is the first of two arguments that we get so if you're a child who loves comedy (laughs) <laughs> These are some uncomfortable 15 minutes. <laughs> <because Yep. laughs> it's just domestic arguments. Um, and so they kind of argue and they both they both keep going, you know, like, right, you you need to be the one who leaves. I've sunk all my money into this. And and so he then goes and sleeps on a table downstairs. And obviously all the workmen resume their work the next morning. And it looks like he slept on a ping pong table. Um, yes, he
2: slept on the ping pong table. That's what it table.
1: looks like to me, yeah. Yeah, which would be literally the most uncomfortable place in the world to sleep. You could have just put, like a blanket on the floor and it would have been more comfortable. Um, and obviously he he does a bit of physical stuff when he gets up off the table and he kind of like stretches out and you can see obviously he's, you know, he's regretting sleeping on that table. Um, and then we get the second argument, uh, which I think is funny because as they start to argue, more and more of the workmen kind of gradually gather around and kind of almost like rush in to see what the argument's about and kind of like follow Walter around as he's arguing with her. Um, And, you know, this is where, like you say, yeah, Tom Hanks does scream at her that she's a whore. Yeah, because I I, want to point
2: this out. The the reason this gets weird is because she thinks she slept with her ex-husband, who doesn't say that they did sleep together, but doesn't disabuse her of the notion. She admits that she slept with her ex-husband to Tom Hanks. And he's like, I'm cool with that. We're all adults here. We all make mistakes. But then he freaks out and screams at her. So she gets mad at him for being mad at her for cheating on him. And then the rest of their conflict sort of rests on, is Tom Hanks mature enough to not be mad at Shelley long for think for supposedly cheating on him with her ex-husband like it's the the sexual politics of this get so twisted and weird because then of course she finds out she didn't sleep with her ex-husband but then she won't tell Tom Hanks that because she's mad at him so she has to he has to get to a point where where he is no longer upset at her so that she can no longer be upset with him and it it's so labyrinthine and like byzantine like i don't like understand like who's wrong or who. this was a this was a movie about a house falling down <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is a metaphor uh,
1: but the the right the, and it is
2: a me- oh boy <laughs> did they did they hammer that home at the end
1: yeah the ho- the house is is their relationship and so they agree that once the house is finished cuz neither of them want to move out and neither of them want to stay there, yeah effectively, so they they agree that once the house is done, they'll sell up they'll split it fifty fifty they'll go their separate ways she can go back to the maestro he will i don't know go on his way with somebody mm-hmm. um it's, it's funny because the next film that that I'm covering is nothing in common and in that Tom Hanks is literally like having sex with everybody like oh, that's his, he, that's his role he's, he's I like did a, not remember a, that a, he's like a Don Draper of the eighties. <laughs> Yeah, he's like a wow. Don Draper of the eighties, literally, because in the opening scene he has sex with an air hostess and he's in advertising. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's weird. It's weird. I mean, I like to imagine that you know that's what Walter would have turned into if he had split up with Anna. Right, um, a regular Chad. So Hanks. you know, they kind of are. <laughs> yeah. so they so they argue and you know they kind of stop talking to each other and then you know they basically all all the guys have gathered around so they have to yell at them and say get back to work yeah. and so they do and then we get a crossfade and the house is done mm-hmm. that's it <laughs> like, yep house is finished um and it happens so quickly that like I, I don't know I, like I don't I don't want this film to be two hours but at the same time I would have liked just a little a, t- a tiny bit more progress than just We go from four months later, they argue the next day, crossfade, the whole thing is done. Um, And then Philip Bosco has a, a long speech about the house, which is obviously directed at their relationship (laughs) because he talks about how the foundations are strong we didn't know that we'd be able to make it through like it doesn't make sense when talking about the house because it's like buddy you're meant to be a building manager like building houses is meant to be what you do this shouldn't have been a challenge it shouldn't have taken four months to get this done like I mean I know it's a big house But but it's mostly a wide house it's not a deep house so there's not a like you could have done this a lot quicker but you deliberately stretch it out because you're just reaming both of these people for all their money so don't, like, you know, make out like you're sentimentally attached to it. Although he does point out, he does say the Shirk brothers will give him a million for it today. Yeah. Um, which I think that would be, like, you know, if you were splitting up with Shelly Long and getting half a million out of the deal, I think that's, you know, that's probably a good way to kind of go and restart your life. Especially in 1986. Half a million in 1986? Come on. That's like two and a half billion in today's money. It's like, that's a ton of money. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they kind of... You know, and then, like you say, Tom Hanks, Walter admits, you know, he's big enough that he doesn't care that she had sex with Max. <laughs> and he just wants to be back together with her. And so then she says, I didn't have sex with Max. Right. Yet, so so she she forgives him yes. for forgiving her for having sex with her ex that she didn't have. Mm. And then, cut to, they get married at the house, they come out, <laughs> they're married, we get a version of Ode to Joy, which is played by the orchestra, um, which yeah, seems okay. extremely understaffed, okay. but they somehow now have a, they're singing, they've got like a choir, which again seems a little small for Ode to Joy, because the choir for Ode to Joy is actually quite large, but anyway, they're singing Ode to Joy, and the cheap girls are there uh, in wedding dresses, uh, or bridesmaids dresses I'm guessing, always a um, and then a White Lion, always yeah and, and that's what the harvey feierstein guy says and the, and the thing is that is something that harvey feierstein in a comedy where he's playing a bridesmaid and he and he doesn't catch the bouquet would say that is a that's a harvey feierstein like that's gotta be right. anyway so yes and then also white liner there playing like a heavy metal version of ode to joy um and everybody's happy and the maestro is looking at the sister who's in white lion And kind of winks at her, and it's like, oh, so that's who the maestro is going to have sex with next—is this woman in this band? Uh, It's worth saying as well: the maestro does pop over after they've had like a bunch of, uh, like, kind of in in the middle of the fight when they're they're split up, and he kind of tells the truth to um, to uh, you know to um, to Anna, um, and he instructs a painter on how to paint um, (laughs) as he leaves. A a maestro, Um, and his and his his. yeah, it, like, and his driver says, um, in, in, I think, Japanese, what are they doing here? Testing missiles? Uh, so that is the rule of threes. Yes. So that has to have been written by Lolan Gans. They it, would have known, rule of threes, if you're going to do a gag about missile testing.
2: What I like about the maestro um, is that he, uh, he admits that he has no real love for anyone but himself. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't yeah. have to do this... Because he he pretty much he doesn't have to like help save their marriage, but uh, or their their relationship. But he shows up and he admits, you know, he talks to Shelly Long, and uh, it's like the one thing he cares about in this world besides himself is Shelly Long's happiness. Like he genuinely wants her to be okay, and so he does this final thing for her. And I'd say that he probably has like probably has the biggest character arc in the movie. <laughs>
1: I mean, obviously, you know, there's not really like there's not much change between um, Walter at the beginning of the film, the end, you know, right. and there's not much change between Anna at the beginning and the end, apart from the fact that they get this this one misunderstanding. <laughs> you know, they they basically, as the song said, they build a house mm-hmm. um, and then and then they get married at the end. And that's, you know, like I guess that's a character, rock because at the start, she was like refusing to get married to him. And then at the end, she gets married to him. So, yeah, you know. And he laughs like a sea lion halfway through the film for like a straight minute so I, I don't know I, like if but yeah it, like the fact that he kind of the 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 maestro just kind of turn up and uh, let her know the truth um I guess that's there was a tiny bit of growth um yeah. <laughs> but yeah we just we suddenly end with we suddenly end with our to joy and they get married at the house and uh, all the construction crew are there and Philip Bosco's there and, <laughs> and it's, it's like I, if I was getting married, I don't think I'd want the guys who basically ripped me off for, uh, what, there's got to be at least hundreds of thousands of dollars
2: to But they're so up. joyful. It's but... like Big Top Peewee. It's like a bunch of fun characters. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then we cut to
1: Rio. Yep. And we see that um, Walter's dad is buying a house. And it's been sold to him by this German fella called Carlos. Yep. Um, the weird thing is, like, the whole Rio thing and Carlos and Hitler's pool boy and all of that stuff is a reference to the boys from Brazil, mm-hmm. which is about Nazis that ended up... And it's such... that's Like, like if you don't know the boys from Brazil, this all of this reference to, like, Brazil and, and Hitler doesn't really kind of make it that much sense. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, and then and Carlos is the one selling the house. And then we find out, of course... Uh, that um, you know, uh, what was her name from Estelle. the beginning? Estelle, yeah, <laughs> Estelle, yeah, Estelle is there, is is there with him, um, and they're basically. It looks like they're basically pulling a scheme to yep. rip them off by selling them like a a lemon. But I don't know how they've I don't know how they found another house in another country to sell to someone <laughs> like what is this uh, what is what is Estelle and Carlos's long-term plan? How many times do they plan on doing this? Do like, they just have it in for the
2: Fielding family? Like is that what it is? Is it just are they just I, trying to do in yeah, this this family?
1: That is the weirdest thing, isn't it? As well. It's the fact that it is it, it is him. But then I guess the fact like the fact that he's got this suitcase full of money you're meant to think, well, he embezzled that money, which right. caused all the issues for Walter. So now the money is being stolen from him. Yeah, for a former Nazi. Right. I, this like this character uh, who that, we have, that we have ending? no
2: emotional attachment to his father. <laughs> like we don't. He's not even a character. <laughs> no. Yeah,
1: but he's getting ripped off. So that's how the film finishes, yeah. uh, and then of course we play the opening credit song again, again, uh, and and that's it. I mean, I I don't know. It's like I I mean I guess we'll get a verdict in a second, but it's just such a weird kind of film that is like like you say, seventy five percent about a house falling apart, and then suddenly turns into like a melodrama for twenty five percent of it, and at either end we have this really weird kind of framing device. Of this other person getting like married and ripped off, in the in the reverse order, I guess of his of his son because his son gets ripped off and then gets married. Yeah. (laughs) Um. I don't I don't know what that's like. I don't know what I'm meant to make of that, other than like you say at the start, it seems to just be used for exposition. I don't know. It's a it's a really weird. I mean, you know, (laughs) if we're given ratings and obviously on this podcast we either say t hanks or no t hanks, and I would say for me. Like 75% of it, T. Hanks, but that drama thing is so it's so weird. Um, it's just so odd. I mean, I guess it's, it's T. Hanks because I do enjoy all the physical comedy and the the laughter and the things falling apart and mm-hmm. the house getting smashed up and everything. So, you know, I can't I, like if people were like, should I watch The Money Pit? People asking me should I watch The Money Pit would be asking me over here, and I'd say. I guess you can. Like, if you enjoy a bit of Tom Hanks and Shelley Long and things falling apart, oh. but be prepared for a sharp, sharp left turn yeah. in the last like 15 minutes of this film, uh, and then a sharp right turn.
0: But, uh, but my biggest reply to that question, if I were asked it, I mean, it's like, why haven't you yet? I mean, I understand. Yes. It's, you know, it, it's, it's understandable that you haven't, in a way, <laughs> because it just unfortunately isn't that it didn't get that much traction over many years. Now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's, you know put everything down right now go watch it now i mean it's 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 you know just like you found with your daughter i mean that's 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 great i love to hear that that the, the younger generations are enjoying things that i think should be enjoyed mm-hmm. and get that much laughter out of
2: yeah it's uh i would say it holds it holds up as well as it ever did uh it's i was i was actually talking about it and saying that i would actually i actually think the money pit as opposed to like all the all of the uh, mean girls and groundhog days and legally blondes to me the money pit would make an incredible musical uh, because you could restructure the story, you'd have this amazing set that has to fall apart. You've got a great central couple. You've got all these wacky characters in the in the background. You've got some like some supporting secondary characters, and you give this to a, a good script writer who can make all the weirdness of the beginning pay off in the end and have like a good through. I mean, to me, you've just got a you've got a great story that needs needed some some expert tinkering to make it fit together you know get rid of the infidelity stuff play up the wackiness of the house but uh all the problems aside like uh you know as we as we've said like it it's carried by the charm of its leads it's it's fun to watch it's weird but it moves quickly it's the great example of a movie that would never get made today because who is this appealing to it's a it's, it, there's no kids in it there's no like it, 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 it's all set basically in one place it's it's a weird movie but uh it made sense in 1986 and uh i think it still holds up today
1: yeah uh i should say the director richard benjamin mm-hmm. following this film uh you know he went on to make uh little nikita which i've never heard of but then my stepmother is an alien yeah mermaids made in america uh, and then another film with the word money in the title, <laughs> Milk Money. Uh, I cannot believe he did
2: Milk Money. God, that movie.
1: Yeah, it's such a... W- uh, if people don't know what the premise is like behind Milk Money, it's about some 11-year-old boys who hire themselves a prostitute so they can see her naked. Yes. Um, that is the plot. And the prostitute is played by Melanie Griffiths. Yes. Um also stars Phil, Philip Bosco so clearly must have made <laughs> there's with some through Prince lines
2: here I'd say stars Philip <laughs> Bosco <laughs> maybe <laughs> I mean
1: it's like seventh field or something but yeah and I should also mention that obviously we said Michel Colombier did the uh, kind of like did the score and stuff uh, he also did the score for Purple Rain in mm-hmm. that the parts that weren't done by Prince he did a little
2: bit of the music for Purple Rain so that connects with my other podcast yes uh,
1: where I talked about every
2: single Prince song so he he did like he did like generic eighties comedy music, and he did like highly experimental European film music.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had he had a career. I think he yeah. died like two thousand six, something like that. Yeah. So, R.I.P. Michel Colombier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, I think we're all T. Hanks on this one. So. Yep. Uh, the only other thing music-related, um, like actually,
0: I'd like to mention is uh, for uh, oh, uh, the for writer me. of, the, I think we I think we might have neglected to mention, the heart is so willing, uh, Stephen Bishop. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, yes, we yeah. didn't say his name. And he is <laughs> something I knew. I knew this little pair of trivia for just this one movie, for him being in the movie, but also doing the the main theme song for it, Animal House. But he was the, he was the charming man with okay. guitar. There you go. And, and apparently, he was he was Charming <laughs> Man, you know, other things for, for the other uh, Landis movies.
1: They play The Heart is So Winning at the start, they play it at the end, and then they have like an instrumental version of it that plays when the infidelity takes place yeah. and they, and everybody's sad. It's, and they really use it.
2: Fast Times at Ridgemont High's Brian Backer also has a 10 second cameo in The Money Pit. Uh, so much, <laughs> so quick that I was like, wait a minute. What the hell was that Brian Backer? And then it, like, just, it you never see him again. He's in the very beginning. He's, like, one of the crowd of people at the beginning. But I was like, this guy already had a career. Why is he only in this movie for 10 seconds? Which makes me wonder how much of this movie ended up on the cutting room floor. Oh. I just, I have to believe there are probably scenes and subplots of this that just got chopped away to make this thing a solid 90 minutes exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, the the other actor I'd point yeah. out too is I mean, uh, Michael t- Jeter from uh, who Green who is Mile he I never he, found he him changed. yes yeah well yeah, yeah I don't he? know I don't know who he yeah. is yeah. either uh, what, in
1: it, what but, role is he yeah. playing I didn't. I was looking all over for him because I like I love Michael Jeter. Where is he? I, I I'm Michael assuming Jeter.
2: that all those all those builders yeah, are like probably real circus people and mimes and physical comedians like yeah. Michael Jeter was yeah. like so they probably just hired a bunch of like we need physical comedians we need we need mime people we need we need so, anyone who can do like who can be in the background and look entertaining. Where,
0: where is Bill Irwin?
2: Bill, Bill Irwin and Michael Jeter can't be on screen at the same time. There you (laughs) go. They would cancel each other out, time cop style.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I was looking all over, and I was like, I cannot see Michael Jeter. Um, Where is he? Like, he's credited. Yeah. So, um, but there's so many people in this film. It literally is like, I mean, the fact that I was able to spot like you know two people from the wire is insane. Like, there's so many other people. It's it's just crazy.
0: And then I think we need to mention the one other remake. Are We Done Yet? Yes. Are We Done Yet? Apparently. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the first one of that. That's that's a sequel, apparently. (laughs) And And Are Are We We We
2: Done Yet is exactly what this movie would be today. It would have a bunch of kids. The father would be a nincompoop. It would be about, like, oh, dad can't build a house. Like, that's what they make when they try to make this kind of movie today. They they were like, "Well, we got to make it appeal to kids," so put like 15 kids in there. And like, yeah, it's a completely different experience.
1: Wasn't there a sequel to Are We Done Yet which was Are We There Yet? That, that was, was, the was the first, first one.
2: <laughs> which was a remake of like Oh, so ha- Are We uh, Done Yet was Vacation th- basically.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I can't say I've I've uh, delved too much Are
2: into it. Are We the Done R Yet B- is universe.
0: a sequel and a remake at the same time.
2: Yeah. We know what's your next. That's, uh, that's crazy. <laughs> your next podcast project will be the "Are We" series. <laughs> no, uh, I'm not going to do that.
1: Uh, <laughs> so, he said no. Uh, well, once. before, yeah, I know. Before this uh, podcast crumbles beneath okay. our feet, I feel this is the time that we should go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug? And I'm going to start with Eric. Uh, yeah, uh, my
0: two uh, movie by Minutes projects. Uh, one is done. Is Watchmen minute. Uh, you go mm-hmm. check that out. Uh, it should be on all, all the podcasters. And uh, uh, Almost Famous Minute. Um, very uh, music heavy, much more music heavy. And I even segued off of that. And they're on the same network. Of, uh, Feels like Weezer. They're on the same network, Pantheon Podcast Network. So go check that out.
1: And Phil, I know you at least have three or four podcasts at the moment. I, I of currently- you're just down to one. You're down to one.
2: I currently have three podcasts. Um, uh, Yeah, I have Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bearcast that I've been doing for six years. Uh, It's all about the Berenstain Bears. Uh, We go book by books, more or less. Uh, I also have uh, It's Del Toro Time, a Guillermo del Toro adjacent podcast that I'm doing with my my older child, Willow, where we're going through all the movies that uh, influenced the career of Guillermo del Toro. And uh, I have Pizza Toast. A uh, Babysitter's Club ephemera podcast that I host with Christy Admiral where we uh, we're going through all of the media adaptations and uh, and merchandise uh, merchandising opportunities related to the Babysitter's Club and other 90s girl power movies uh, from that era. So, yep, we just did Matilda and uh, it was a blast to talk about. And uh, obviously,
1: uh, you can find us for this podcast uh, on Twitter at the extremely awkward ft underscore memories. Is that right? T underscore ft memory. It's an ex- just. I'm. I mean, it's just an awkward, an awkward handle. Um, and uh, you know, my other project at the moment, which I will be a host again on in a couple of weeks' time, uh, is Knives Out Minute. And as this episode goes up, it will conclude uh, Eric's week on uh, Knives Out Minute. Uh, The five episodes will have concluded yesterday, Uh, so, you know, if you haven't listened to that, you can go back and listen to five episodes of Eric talking to Adil Kurji about (laughs) Knives Out. Um, So, well, thank you to both of you for being my guest here today. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I'm glad that, you know, fellas, we have something in common, because next week I'm going to be talking about nothing in common. And that was an awkward (laughs) segue.
0: I thought the Care Bears were here.
1: Hello, welcome to T-Hank's... That was too loud. (laughs) I I was too enthusiastic. Okay.